Hola, what's that say, rafter? The first promise he made to us was the promise to save us before the world began, yes or no. But now there's a condition there. And the condition isn't whether you're good enough. The condition is, will you ask Jesus to save you? That's the only condition. But if you don't ask Jesus to save you, if you don't recognize the fact that he's God, and you ask him to save you, are you going to be saved? No, he promises to save you, but there's a condition there. And many of these greatest promises have conditions and tonight is no different so uh, let's uh, jump right into it here so I'm just going to review here real quick I've given you eight of the uh, greatest promises God ever gave mankind been going through them every Wednesday the first promise is the promise to save us before the world began Titus 1 2 in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, and I'm going to do this quickly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, promises, in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath, what's the next word? Chosen us. <laughs> There's your promise to save us before the world began. Uh, the second promise is to sanctify what he saves. T -t to use us after he saves us <laughs> before the world began Ephesians 1 5 and again I'm gonna do this quickly 
says, having predestinated us, and I appreciate uh, Philip putting these up there for you, having predestinated us before the world began to be conformed to the image of Christ, there's your promise to sanctify those he saves. Okay? Predestination doesn't have anything with the lost getting saved, you know, God picking and choosing who's going to be saved and who's not. Predestination deals with the Christian, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. The third promise he made was of special favor. I think, uh, Jenny, you said you liked that one the best, wasn't it? Special. Oh, it must have been, it must have, okay. Judy, it was Judy that did special favor. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. That word accepted means favored. We are highly favored as a creation. <laughs> and what's our look? Thank you, Rico, for doing that. <laughs> each time Rico and I look at each other, for the most part, we just put our heads up like we're all that and a bag of chips. And we are. In God's eyes, the human race has a great purpose. Why do you think Satan tried to destroy everything in the garden? Because he got a little jealous. Here's, he's the, here he is, this unbelievable creation of God, and he's going to have to serve or minister to this next creation that's coming? This creation that was made out of dirt? <laughs> yes, we are that special creation. Uh, Ephesians uh, you know, 1.6 says, Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He's made us the favored race. Four, the promise of the steady sacrifice, one that keeps giving and giving for all eternity. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his what? Okay, question, how long does Christ's blood keep working? <laughs> it works eternally, okay? Listen to Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. Listen to what the apostle said. He said, neither by the blood of goats and calves, you know, those animal sacrifices that only gave the nation of Israel a year reprieve, okay? He says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he, Jesus, entered in once. How many times did he enter into the holy place in heaven? Yeah. You, you, you can't bring Jesus and put him back on the cross again. You know how a lot of some Christians say, well, you know, I just need to get saved again. You mean you need to pull Jesus and all that he offered on the altar in heaven with his blood? You need to have him come back and do that again just so you can get saved again? No, no. <laughs> Folks, this is a steady sacrifice, okay? Entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, what's the next word? Eternal. <laughs> Eternal redemption for us. That's a sacrifice that keeps on giving, yes or no? Okay? Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean only sanctifieth us to the uh, purifying of the flesh here on earth, how much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the what? Eternal Spirit, offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now listen to this statement. Not only did Jesus purchase for us an eternal salvation that keeps on giving and giving and giving, he backed it up by placing the eternal Spirit within us as earnest money. That's the down payment. And God's not about to lose his down payment. The Holy Spirit that abides in every one of us the moment we got saved is God's down payment to take you to glory. He's not going to put that money down with the chance of losing it. 
That's a promise of a steady sacrifice. Amen? Number five. I said I'd do this quickly. I apologize. The promise to see in action what God sees all the time, which is the eternal perspective. Ephesians 1.8 says this, wherein he hath abounded, or that, that Greek word means he has overflowed toward us in all, what's the next two words? Wisdom and, yeah, folks, prudence is wisdom in action. That's all prudence is, okay? There's your fifth greatest promise, to see in action all that is eternal, speaking of grasping the eternal perspective. Now, now, by the way, hear this. There's a difference between this wisdom and the wisdom we're going to talk about here tonight when I get done with this little stuff, okay? Number six, the promise to spell out for us his divine purpose on a variety of subjects. Ephesians 1.9 says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. There's your sixth greatest promise. It's to spell out for us his, his divine purpose on a number of subjects if only we'll take him up on that promise. Number seven, got two more, and then I'm going to get into number nine tonight. The promise to solidify us as a family of believers. I'm looking forward to that, folks. I'm looking forward to getting along with all the Christians that we don't get along with, that we should get along with. I, you know, I can get along with charismatics, but they, they, they just can't get along with me because I'm not charismatic. I mean, I mean, I have a lot of charismatic friends, but I'm just saying the, the, the majority of the charismatics don't want anything to do with a guy that believes once saved, always saved. Now, I can live with the fact that they think they're going to lose their salvation. We'll, we'll find out, you know, once glory takes place. But did they get saved the same way I got saved? The answer is yes. Charismatic, for the most part, charismatic people. They get saved by trusting Jesus to be their Savior, their only means of salvation. Now, what they think they have to do after that is work hard to keep that salvation. Well, wait a minute. You didn't purchase it. Why do you think you have to do something to keep it? And, of course, Paul addresses that in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Enough of that. God wants to solidify us, and, and he'll do that as a family of believers. Uh, he'll lot cast us. That's the word for the in word inheritance. He'll lot cast us someday in unity once and for all during the millennium. All Christians are going to get along. <laughs> There'll be no more Greenvilles in heaven. <laughs> okay? Greenville is a, I think they're in the Guinness's book of records for churches splitting. Well, that's what I read. You didn't read that, Sam? Oh, it was on the internet. That's all I can say. Ephesians 1, 10 and 11 says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Right now, we're separated from other believers by this life and their death. We're separated in this life by other believers because of our petty differences. Well, that's all going to end someday. That's a promise. Verse 11, in whom also, that is through what Jesus did for us at Calvary, we have obtained an inheritance. We are, we've been lot-casted. Uh, we've been promised solidarity as a family of believers during the millennium where life and death cannot disunite us anymore. Number eight, what we talked about last week, the promise to seal what he saves. Well, that's always a good one. Ephesians 1, 12 and 13 says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom also you trusted, you Ephesians, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise these are promises God makes us there's your eighth greatest promise God ever made once saved always saved sealed unto the day of redemption verse 14 which speaking of the Holy Spirit is the earnest as an earnest money or down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory there's your promise to seal what God saves I'm out of breath already I haven't even gotten to number nine according to Jesus in John 7 38 and 39 the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit was promised to us upon Christ's resurrection and I explained that to you last week. And the three reasons why the indwelling or sealing of the Holy Spirit is so glorious, if you remember those three reasons. Listen to what Jesus said in verses 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the Scriptures hath said, so this comes from the Old Testament, out of his belly his being shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they, believe on, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we get the permanent permanence of the Holy Spirit and his indwelling after the resurrection of Christ, which means the thief on the cross never had it. The disciples never had it. The Old Testament saints never had it. It's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't working. They just didn't have it on a full-time basis. Well, why give it to us on a full-time basis after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Because the world was never the same after Jesus came. I mean, folks, for the last 2,000 years, Christianity has just changed the world. You realize that the Roman Empire, I think Brother Todd, you and I were talking about this, the Roman Empire was totally changed due to Christians, due to what Christ did at Calvary. Sealed to comfort us. Seal, sealed as the first installment of many things promised to come. Sealed eternally. Now, the ninth greatest promise God ever made. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. Notice what Paul said. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my, what's the next word? Don't forget that word. That the God of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, Jesus doesn't have a God. You do know that. Just because it's written this way in the English doesn't mean this is what it means. Okay? Jesus is God. He's a part of the triune Godhead. What's being emphasized here is Jesus' humility in becoming human versus certain aspects of his, uh, his uh, d divinity that he left behind so he could take care of our sins at Calvary. Verse 17 again that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what's those next four words? There's your promise. May give unto you the what? Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's your ninth greatest promise. It's the promise to give us the spirit, now listen to this, the spirit of insight when it comes to discerning the times in which we lived. You see, the term spirit here is neither the Holy Spirit nor the spirit of man, but it is the spirit of insight, being able to tell the times in which you live. Turn to First Chronicles 12 and verse 32. 
It says, and the children of Issachar, which were men that had, what's those next few words? Understanding of the times. <laughs> the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. That is, they had insight to know what Israel ought to do. You know what America ought to do in these days? It'd be nice. It ain't happening. I, 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 don't, I don't see, you know, there's a lot of great preachers out there, and there are preachers with the spirit of uh, insight. You know, John Hagee, Jonathan Cain, uh, there's a ton of these guys out there. But, but I don't see the churches in America turning America back to God. In fact, America's gotten 10 times worse since the megachurches took over. And I'm not picking on megachurches. I'm just saying, folks, it, it isn't working. Whatever the America's doing in their churches isn't bringing anybody to repentance here in America. In fact, it's getting worse. So what's America to do? Or are we just going along as Christians, and this is the truth, are we just going along to get along? And that's really what we do here in America. We just, we don't take a stand. We just go along to get along. You know, leave me with mine, and, 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 and you know, my, I just want to live out my life and die. You, you sound like Hezekiah. You say, what about King Hezekiah? Read that story. Hey, as long as everything's good in my days, let the next generation go. You know, where are the Billy Sundays? You say, who? Billy Sunday. Never heard of him. He's, he's the guy that changed this country back in the 20s. You ever hear of Prohibition? Because of Billy Sunday's preaching, the United States government stopped all alcohol. Why, wouldn't that be good in America if you stopped all alcohol? Oh, no, i got to have my alcohol. Well, you know what? That's the problem. This isn't, this isn't about us enjoying our alcohol or our marijuana. or No, no, no. That's the stuff that ruins a nation. You know how many people die due to alcohol? I mean, just cars. I'm not talking about ruining livers and, and, and all the rest of it. I mean, one of my favorite people in all the world, he's in heaven now, is Leo. Brother Leo. Remember Brother Leo? Okay, his, his grandson was here. I think he might even be back this next Sunday. His grandson was here. And he's a preacher now. He's 30 years old. And, and I, I got to win him to Christ when he was five years old. Didn't even remember that. He had to say it to remind me. Remember when you won me to Christ when I was five? That was 25 years ago. I have a hard time remembering yesterday much less 25 years ago. But hey, I'm glad I was there. Leo, well, there we go. He's got his sister here. He did, he did a ton of drugs. And it, and it ruined his, his liver, his system. I, I, you know, and yet this guy, when, when he got it right, and boy, did he get it right. And God is so proud of him. When he walked into heaven, I guarantee you, Jesus said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You mean you're not going to bring up that time I backslid and got away from God all those years? Got away from you all those years? No! You finished what you started the day you got saved. Woo! But it was those drugs that eventually killed him. He didn't keep doing them, but he had done it enough to himself where it destroyed his body. How many times did he die? in those last three years, and yet God wouldn't let him. His body was saying, you're dead, Leo. And he'd go to the hospital, and they'd, they'd 
call us and tell us, you know, he's only got a few days left. And he'd come out of it. So it got to the point where they were doing it after three years, and I just thought, I ain't even listening to this anymore. He, he ain't going to die. He's just going to kind of die. <laughs> Noah warned the world for 120 years that judgment was around the corner. Yes or no? Genesis chapter 6. Now, he warned the world. He had the spirit of insight as to what was coming during his days. And he warned the world. How many people listened? By the way, we know, according to statisticians, that there were over one billion people on planet Earth before the flood. How many of those listened to Noah? That's it. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight. Eight out of a billion? You mean only eight people were saved? No, the eight people were saved from the coming judgment of, of the flood. It didn't, talking about spiritual salvation, there was a ton of people that were saved during Noah's day. But they didn't get delivered because they didn't have the spirit of insight to see what was coming. You see, there will always be some who walk among us that are so in tune with God and His Word that they have the spirit of insight in understanding the times in which we live. And they try to warn us. The <laughs> question is, are you one of them? And who are you warning? So I'm not one of them, and I ain't warning anybody. This is a promise God made us, that all of us can have this insight. But it, it is conditional. There is one thing you have to do in order to have this spirit of wisdom or spirit of insight into understanding the days in which we live. Say, what is that? We'll get to that here in a second. I want to pull up a video, if you don't mind. This is of David Wilkerson. Probably been watched millions of times. How many of you know who David Wilkerson was? Oh, okay. One of my favorite preachers. By the way, he, I, I think he was charismatic. I, I think he was. Still one of my favorite preachers. See, see, I can get along with all my brothers and sisters in Christ that are Calvinistic. There ain't a Calvinistic bone in my body. I can't, I can't find in Scripture what they're talking about. Well, some, God chooses some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And yet I, I have no problems fellowshipping with someone else who has a non-heaven and hell issue concerning Bible. That's a non-heaven and hell issue, whether you have a, you know, eternal security or you don't. That's not, because that's not what gets you saved. Same thing with, with our charismatic friends. I can be friends with them, and had I known David Wilkerson, I'm sure we could have been friends, but folks, we ought to be able to get along with all the brethren, whether we have these petty little differences or not. We ought to rejoice that, hey, somebody led you to Christ. Now, they Somebody led you wrong in some of their doctrine, but, you know, according to what I think. But that shouldn't divide us. Here's a guy who's dead now. I think he died 10, 11 years ago. I don't remember exactly. And I want you to hear. You got that ready? I want you to hear this preaching. This guy has the spirit of wisdom. And, and it's offered. And see if you can catch how... And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. 
It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric in our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and to his people and he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. This was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruin. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all? That God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That there's such a coldness sweeping the land? Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion, blind to lukewarmness, blind to the mixture that's creeping in. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, has what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest you. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern. 
or a need. I'm going to tell you something. I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin, and it drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God. I know now. Oh my God, do I know it. Until I can agony. Until I have been anguished over it. And all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do. Where are the Sunday school teachers that weep? over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell. You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, His heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's somebody to get this altar and confess, I am not what I was. I am not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been, I wanted it easy. Didn't want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is absolutely nothing physical can give you joy it's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey him and take on his heart build the walls around your family build the walls around your own heart make you strong and impregnable against the enemy God that's what we desire to God and say, why show me all this wickedness in our country here in Israel, and, and yet I can't do anything about it. God says, I, I, he said, I, I just did something about it. I got a man who was willing to cry out to me concerning the signs of the times. Folks, remember I said there's a condition to some of these promises? Here's the condition to having the spirit of wisdom or insight into the times in which you live. Did, did you hear it up there? Do you want more insight into all that is divinely planned for this world, yes or no? You, you should want more insight. Noah was the only one in his day that wanted insight. God gave it to him and he warned the world it's coming. And they just laughed at him until the day that the ark closed up. 
and the rains began to fall. And then all the people ran to the ark, saved people, some of them. Too late. Why? Because they never did this. Lord, I need spiritual insight in understanding the times in which I live. God, I need spiritual insight. You say that's all it takes? James 1.5. If any of you lack, what's the next word? Let him what? That giveth to all men what? Liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Every day of my life, I ask God, why do you show me how wicked America has become? We are a vile country. And, and yet most Christians, oh, just go along to get along. No, no. We're a vile country. Extremely. And yet where are the Christians? Oh, I know what they're doing. They're all just gathered together in a little huddle of chickens. And they're not praying, saying, God, give me the spirit of wisdom or insight into the times in which we live so that I can see what's going on. God says, okay, I'll do that for you. I promise. This is my promise to you, that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. But you've got to do one thing. What's that? You've got to pray. I mean, do we even pray as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or not raise it, but do we pray every day? Do you want what God has already promised you? Then start asking. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, insight, and revelation, and knowledge of him. I told my wife this, and I'm done. Today I went to Walmart for her. She was working up in Plano for our daughter. Love Walmart. Gotta love Walmart. I think of Jenny all the time. I put all my stuff in my truck. You know, I only, I only have a two-door truck. And so I open my side door, passenger side, and I'm putting all my groceries. And, and, and you know, the baskets, where you put the baskets, I parked right there because I don't like to walk real far after I, you know, I have to drag that basket all over the place. I don't have to drag it to a place where you put it. So I parked. I had a spark. And, and so I closed my door and I still got my thing and all I got to do is do this. And this lady's going by me. And she says, do you, do you need help with that basket? Oh, man, do I look that old and that bad? You know? And I mean like it's right there. And I said to her, I says, well, you, you know, it is, it is right there. And, and she just took, up, took over the conversation and was talking and talking. And, and, and you would not believe how many foul words came out of her mouth. I didn't say anything about it. But I thought to myself, you know what, this, this may be, Lord, maybe you're giving me an opportunity to find out where this lady is spiritually and be able to witness to her. By the way, it's not that we can't say a foul word every now and then. Stephen, I'm just saying, have you said a foul word every now and then? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I know my wife.
said, yeah, I, 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 under my breath, I've said a few. Okay, I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't pose it that way. Under your breath? Oh, yeah, okay, all right. We're all guilty. Okay, and it's not that we're not going to slip and get mad and even say it out loud once in a while, but this was profanity on a level, and she just felt comfortable talking to me. You know, and, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I must be so old that she felt bad for me and felt real comfortable, and I'm still holding my basket, you know. I haven't even gone like this and put in the, and, and, and finally she says, yeah, my husband and I, we go to church and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, it's not that Christians, you know, don't do wrong and don't say things wrong, you know. But, I mean, this was just laced, every other word. So I thought, well, let me find out where she goes. So, so I asked her where she went to church. She told me. By the way, that, that church that she told me about, it preaches the gospel. So, uh, you know, there's no doubt this lady's saved. <laughs> But does she have any idea where she's at in life? I even asked her, does, does your preacher talk on things where they challenge you concerning all these things you're cussing about? I didn't say all these things you're cussing about, but she knew what I was talking about. She says, uh, uh, sometimes. What do you learn in that church? You know, th th this... You slip every now and then. You think about it every now and then. It's understandable. I mean, we all do it. But for it to be a part of your vocabulary 24-7, there's something wrong there. And it also means you're probably not praying because, yeah, there's no conviction. Yeah, you're probably not in the book. In church on Sunday, but not in the book on a daily basis. And so, if you're not praying for God to give you wisdom, and wisdom comes out of what? This book. So if you're not in this book and underneath its influence, and you're not praying, God, what's wrong with our nation? It doesn't line up with what I'm reading. Then you can never get this spirit of insight that God's promising. See the connection? You, you, you see what you have to do so folks I am no David Wilkerson but I believe what David Wilkerson talked about you heard him and we need more men and women and there are there are women like that as well they're in their books and they're on their knees and they see what's going on in this country and they know it's wrong And they pray. God says, okay, I'm going to show you some things that nobody else has seen. You know, like Noah, I showed him things that were coming that no one else could see. But you should want to be able to see it. Everybody here should be want to be able to see it. Don't be like the crowd in Noah's day where the majority of the believers never even saw it. Take God up on his promise, Amen. Start doing this. First thing I say every morning of my life. Father, fix me. How many here need fixing? <laughs> okay, two hands here. <laughs> yeah, okay, for me. Father, fix me. Lord Jesus, feed me. You're the great shepherd. You lead us to 
green pastures where we can be. Holy Spirit, inform me. In other words, when I get into this book, show me what it says. And every time he does that, I see what's wrong with our world, not just America, but our whole world and where we're headed. And I want to scream and say, doesn't anybody see this? But the way you see it is exactly what I explained to you. Starts here. Exactly what David Wilkerson was talking about. So we only have one more promise, the 10th promise, and that'll be next Wednesday, Lord willing. So they, all these promises are wonderful, are they not? Some of them are conditional, though. Okay? The steady sacrifice isn't conditional. That was taken care of by the blood of Christ. There are some that are not conditional, but there are some that are. And this one tonight, the ninth promise, is conditional. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for David Wilkerson. I know he's with you right now in glory, and I know you're as proud of him as you are of Brother Leo and, and, and all the others that have gone on uh, to be with you. Lord, we want you to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't, don't let us get so up in the world that we pay more attention to the television and internet and our phones than we do your word and the influence it has on our personal lives. Help us to stay in the book, be people of the book, be faithful people underneath the book. And Lord, help us always to pray for discernment as to the times in which we live. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we uh, offering. Well, you don't leave yet.